Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Mike Fitch, and Mike Fitch is the creator of a curriculum called Animal Flow. And I know a lot of times we'll, we've seen Animal Flow where we think about it, and we're just going to you know get on the floor and move around like a bear or something. But it's really not that. There is so much thought behind this, and this is about the human animal and getting our organism to move not only more efficiently, but you know safer and to support us in all the activities we want to do rather whether we want to bang iron or run or ride your bike whatever it is and you can do it from any condition level so if you're deconditioned at the moment or you're really fit i mean mike has really thought about this and there's even data and science about how it supports your ligaments and tendons and your joints and all of these things and they have it step by step so you can just get into it gently and as you progress you can progress with them and he is so passionate about spreading the word of animal flow and he's dedicated himself to this curriculum and he and he does come from a traditional sort of training background and then was exploring for himself like oh he started taking gymnastics and parkour and lo and behold he created animal flow something he's been working on and has really built out in, in a real way so i hope you enjoyed the conversation Okay, so animal flow, you, I mean, you've been working on this for 19 years. You, you basically put framework around a curriculum. You know, there's, we can see things in all things in the past. You know, we talk about it a lot where it'll be, it's a new application of maybe a series of ideas, and, but you still, you put the framework around it. You've created a curriculum. It has names. You have transitional names. I mean, it's, you, it's a lot of work. So what I find fascinating is from the outside, looking at animal flow, you think, Whoever created this is kind of loose, you know, kind of like, you know, has a yeah. lo- like a looseness idea mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. And so I do find it, I think it's funny because I, I have seen, and when I was doing my research on you, that you get up very early and which would mean you probably go to bed early. So there is a, rig- a rigidity, right? I have it too, so I can talk about mm-hmm. it. You have to fight that, right? Do you have to fight the rigidity? Because is that, because then it, there's no room. Well... To be honest, I think that structure is what gives us freedom as long as we're able to realize uh, what the delineation is. So if we realize like, okay, by me focusing on the foundations, that gives me even greater ability when I'm ready to freestyle or when I want to just go into the expression part and be able to turn off the logical, okay, I need to think about what I'm doing next. And to me, that's that's what the transition into flow is. It's that we're we're relying and depending upon all that time that we put into the structure and the repetition and the, and, and, um, and the foundations. So then that gives us the freedom when we go, cool, my body on a cellular level has this. I'm supported. I can just turn off and see where my body wants to move me. What led me to movement in the first place was the exploration of movement and being uncomfortable. And so I'm a big advocate of going into the the discomfort, exploring things that take us out of the things that we feel really comfortable and confident and strong in. And it was through that exploration that brought me to movement in the first place. So I had already spent a decade as a personal trainer doing gym style things. You know, I was on a constant pursuit to uh, increase my understanding of the human body and its, its capabilities. But it wasn't until I was 10 years as a personal trainer, I was like a lot bigger. I was lifting a lot and I just, felt like I need to change. I need to do something different. I, this I, I've got, I understand this. I need to be challenged. And so I put down the weights and just went to an adult gymnastics class and was terrible. Why gymnastics? Because uh, well, you thought it was the opposite end of the spectrum of banging iron and being tight and all of that? Yes, 100%. Okay. So, so you're almost 30 years old at this point. At this point. And what I find interesting, so at 19-ish or so, you're in New York City. You're from New York? Uh, Kentucky. Okay. Mm-hmm. Close. And then, yeah, right there. And then you went to New York to be, do that business. Yes. I left Kentucky, moved to LA briefly, and yeah. then skimmed through Miami, landed in New York. You, you hit all the spots. I hit all the spots. I mean, LA, Miami. And then went back and lived in all of them. 
But New York was where I kind of cut my teeth as a personal trainer. I, I always think the ultimate for, in a lot of ways, uh, movement is the West Coast. But there's some very interesting things happening in New York City. I've met a lot of interesting thinking, moving people. Yeah. Progressive and like cutting edge in New York. Pretty hardcore. Super progressive. And I think the difference, or some of the differences are, in New York, it really is a competitive platform. Like when you're in that training world, in anything in New York City, right? Anything, it doesn't matter what it is. You have to be on your game. You have to be looking to see what's coming next. So I know that a lot of the trainers that I worked with, they were constantly exploring, pursuing new things, figuring out ways in which they could increase their value so they could get more clientele. West Coast is just a different vibe. You know, it's like, hey, I got six-pack abs. You can have six-pack abs. Well, the client isn't as brutal. New York clients, they got an hour. They're spending, chop, chop. They already don't want to train. I'm fascinated, though, that you go to gymnastics class. You're in New York. You're in this very competitive profession. You added parkour, right? Gymnastics quickly led to parkour. And once I got into parkour, I was like, ah, okay. I get this. And I think the reason I felt more comfortable in parkour was that the rigidity was slightly blurred. So, you know, you still had this very, very similar movements and you still had this dedication to the practice, but it was all, it was much more focused on style and flair and fluidity and coming from, I was a skateboarder for many years growing up and just coming from that world, I was like, oh, this feels like home to me. You know, it was a lot of people practicing together but practicing individually at the same time so they were working on their craft but doing it almost like in this team in this group so that right away clicked with me and i was like i like this and that was also the first time i was introduced to animal locomotion right so i think what's great also about animal flow is that it is approachable mm -hmm. like parkour i'm afraid that like for me, I would love to fly around. I'm six foot three. I think I would definitely end up going to the urgent care, most likely. So, but even taking on something physically that's new or different language. Mm -hmm. So if someone's listening to this, how do you, getting down to the floor, animal flow, you know, you talk about your four points or six points of contact on the floor. What is it that you say to people about moving into a completely different universe of movement? How to do that? One of the great things about the floor is it's an incredible educator. It's such a great teacher. And there's a, for most people, there's a sensation of safety there. So the closer we can get to the ground, there's potential for learning and there's a high, oh, sorry, there's a low potential for risk for the most part. So just by us placing hands and feet and body in contact with the ground, we're being supported by something else. So if I, as a coach, introduce this concept to you with the goal of making you feel successful right away, I can always regress it to meet you wherever your needs are. But I think where people, where there's a bit of a disconnect is they may see some of the videos on like Instagram or the promo videos and they're like, what the hell is that? I can never do that. And the thing is, that's what this practice looks like at a very high level, but that's not where you start. It's just like when you start any practice, you're not going to start at the highest level. And the great thing, again, about bringing someone into this experience of animal flow is we introduce it to them in pieces. You know, it's like if I have an athlete that I'm working with who is used to doing strength speed stuff, I'm not going to go, cool, next time you come in, we're going to spend 60 minutes on the floor doing animal flow. They're going to be like, this sucks. I'm never going to do this again. So we have to make them feel successful and allow them the ability to feel like they're being invited back into their body. So... Let me back up and just say, you know, some, some of the things that we talk about when we're talking about the system of animal flow is we have these four pillars. And one of them is connection communication. One of them is performance. One of them is resilience. One of them is community. And it's so common, especially now, to see people that are very disconnected from their body. And they're thinking about what's going on in the world. They're thinking about their relationships, their stress at work, their phone, their tablet, meetings, blah, blah, blah. And what happens when they go and they train? Typically, they're now still bringing their conscious awareness and mindfulness to an external object. So I'm going to move this bar from this to this, dumbbell from here to here. I'm going to stand on the treadmill and watch TV while I run. But when you get someone and you connect them to the floor and you ask them to perform different tasks, you know, these movement puzzles, it's very difficult for them to think about anything else that's going on in their world other than what their body is doing and how they're inhabiting their body. So if we can bring that awareness back 
because, you know, we have these beautiful, infinitely complex bodies that we are gifted to inhabit, but so often we spend all day in our head or somewhere else. So reconnecting the body, and that's the, the communication connection part of the pillar. It's hands and feet in contact with the ground, bring mindful awareness back into the body, allow your body to communicate to itself as well, because we have all these... What does that mean? So we have these sensory receptors, these proprioceptors in, in all throughout our body. So they are in our fascial tissue, they're in our joints, connective tissue, muscle tissue, they're in our skin. So they're always sending information about our place in space, about temperature, about all kinds of different things to our central nervous system brain. So that our brain can get a better idea of where we are in space. It's like our 3D map of ourselves. And a really unique thing about being in quadrupedal positions, excuse me, where we're holding our body up against gravity's downward pull is it's a really unique load profile that's hard to replicate in the gym. So by us, hands and feet in contact, moving through space, through positioning our body in different relations to gravity, really encourages those little satellites, those little receptors to send more information. So now, we're, not only are we consciously connecting to our body, but our body is potentially becoming a better communicator within itself. Mm -hmm. There are a couple things I, I just want to go back and kind of hit on. So, you know, there's been some really great research done on cross-lateral movement mm -hmm. and how we can increase cognitive capacity just moving around on the ground, right? So cog improving cognition is a huge part that a lot of people don't really think much about. But the connection, the awareness, uh, the the idea of, and this is going to go a little bit further forward than I thought I was going to go, but... Um, what does that mean? You mean, and you, you weren't going to talk about it, or you weren't going to talk about it yet? Uh, just meaning that, that maybe I wasn't going to talk about it yet. But let me, since we're here, I'm in your home. I feel very comfortable with you right now. We're going to talk about how, to me, animal flow. So whenever I... I think about what animal flow is. It really is not just about the movement practice, right? It's about how we not only show up in our human bodies, but also how our human bodies show up in society and in our relationships and how we navigate our world and how we take care of our world. So to me, the animal flow, it is the human animal and the human animal and all the things that are attached to the human animal. So the movement part is just the beginning. It's us connecting with ourselves again. And by us connecting with ourselves again, that potentially increases our opportunity to make all connections better within our life, right? Because I'm a big believer, and it seems that you guys are as well, of the way which we treat our body is mirrored over and over and over again in the way in which we go out our day, in the way in which we have relationships with other people. So to me, this is just part of it. This is just part of how we inhabit our bodies. And this is just begins the conversation of, yeah, if this is the way that gets you into it, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Or it could be anything else. So I'm, I'm always the one to say, this is not the best program. Whatever you like the most, and it allows you to become a more embodied person that shows up better in the world, then fantastic. Go with that thing. People think of animal flow as something that you're mimicking animals, and that's not the case. You're talking about the human animal. Mm -hmm. And yes, of course, you're going to study animals and you know learn certain things based on how they move um, and maybe talk about that. But when I first learned about animal flow, which is actually quite a while ago, you think, oh, they're crawling around on the floor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and and what I what I would say is, if someone is listening to this, and you have you have a lot of videos and opportunities online for people to see or to even try, like in the privacy of their own home, like if they were sort of like, hey, no one's here right now, I'll try this for a few minutes. I think that doing something that you can connect the whole thing, but have to really be paying attention, mm -hmm. is really it's important. And yes, you, we might see you and you're on your hands in a handstand with your knees bent, and people go, oh, I can never do that. But I don't, I don't really get from you that that's what this is. Mm -hmm. And you even talk about like cognitive function improving and all kinds of things. So let's let's go back. You get involved, you do some gymnastics, you go to parkour. Where do you get the idea and the courage to say, okay, the creation of animal flow? So a couple of things there <clears throat> that I definitely want to hit on. But because you mentioned coaches, I feel like I have to tell you this story. Okay. And uh, you were really, so like you really stuck with me that day and challenged me quite a bit. And I remember I came out of the pool at one point and I'm like gasping for air, holding out the pool for dear life. And you're standing above me and you were coaching and you were talking to me and I'm, I'm like looking up at you 
and behind your head is the sun and you're like golden locks are, are like flowing in the wind and I'm like you have this whole Nordic goddess thing going on and I was like yes Gabby Reese I will follow you to the ends of the earth like it was just so clear to me that you had been coached by some amazing coaches and you now are an amazing coach and you were all the way to the end so even when we were wrapping up nice to you you were so nice to me because i want people to be successful yeah and that's what so even cool scary by the way it's super scary very scary and at the end when you uh, you were like oh great job today and i said i was i was all self-deprecating i was like oh i wish i would have gotten that other lap of like underwater carries and you just said don't do that don't do that to yourself. Don't minimize all the work that you did today and focus on the negative thing. And I was mm-hmm. like, damn it, Gabby Reese, you're right. Yeah, well, it's important. I think people, we have to help each other. Mm. And if you were going to coach me in animal flow, I know that you would help me. And I think that, you know, um, there's a gentleman that I really like named Rich Devaney, and he wrote a book called 25 Attributes. And he talks about being a leader. And he's like, leaders are able to make decisions. Doesn't mean right. They just make them. They're totally accountable, but because they're accountable, they can say, I'm wrong. We gotta, we're actually going down. Mm-hmm. We need to go make a left, not a right. And they're there to set up other people to be their best. And they're actually not allowed to say they're your leader. Mm-hmm. Only the people in the group can say, oh, that's our leader. You just say, hey, I'm in charge of this space, right? I remember that now. It's so funny. You put a t-shirt on somebody and all of a sudden, you know, everything blurs together. I remember that. To show your strength is to show compassion and love mm-hmm. you know i think and also like i said the pool is it is there's no air it's true but it's i true. i think in its own ways animal flow especially if someone was advancing through and they were going to be start getting inverted and doing these types of things there's there's elements of that mm-hmm. in there so i i went off on that tangent but to go back to the question that you had asked me which was you know how does one come about creating a system and then and have the courage and have because the courage. it's especially listen we get laughed at mm. people doubt us that's hard why would you do that who's going to do that it's you know they tried that before whatever and i'm always fascinated when i see people that really pay attention and listen to themselves and say i'm gonna give it a go because the reasons have to be real mm-hmm. you weren't sitting there doing going you know what i'm gonna get really rich off this yeah your reasons have to be real to do something like this you know, and my reason, the reason I got into personal training in the first part is I wanted to be of service to other people. I wanted to figure out how to help people reach their potential, whatever that may be. And I actually, when I first moved to LA, when I was 18 years old, I hired a personal trainer and he was so inspiring to me. I knew that that, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to make other people feel the way that he made me feel when I was working with them. So. I had always come from that, that place of wanting to be of service to other people to help them progress through their journey, whatever it is. So whenever I started down my own journey, I was experiencing things that I would immediately go, wow, I, I would love to share this with my clients. And coming from the place as a personal trainer who was a super geek on all the things, uh, anatomy and, and physiology and biology, um, and I, I was like, well, I understand systems. So is there a system that I can create that incorporates some of the influences that I'm having and that are inspiring me that I can share with my clients? So I just started, you know, like I was, I was taking uh, breaking or breakdancing classes at the time. So I, I would like learn a six step and then try to teach a client a six step. And it was just such a fun experiment. And I just started spending hours and hours and hours on the ground, seeing if there was a way that I could take some concepts that are already known, you know, animal locomotion, um, um, floor-based movement like breaking or capoeira, you know, so like all these things that people have seen before, but create a system where the true intention is to improve the functionality and connection of the human animal, right? So that was the part that felt not easy. I tell everyone, it took me three months to create the program or the system. It's taken me every day since to learn it. And my understanding of it is changing on a daily basis. But uh, the thing that, that was quite challenging was how do you promote it? How do you endure the sneers, the laughs, the people saying that this is like another gimmick or another, you know, because as you had mentioned earlier, there's a lot of old boys clubs out there, especially in the fitness world, where they're very dogmatic approaches. 
And anything that's new, people really like to shoot down quickly. But for me, it was knowing that I, I had a purpose, I had a thing that I wanted to share with the world, and it didn't matter what anyone else thought about it because I, I believed in it. And I saw what it did on a small scale with my clients. And then when we started sharing it globally, we just started seeing that just roll. And we started seeing where other people loved the practice, but they loved sharing it with other people. And it became about the community where people wanted to get together and experience movement. And through that movement, it brought them closer together and it improved their ability to communicate with each other. So I think it was, it was just that, that undying desire to, to need to share this with the world. Because you, I mean, I'm sure you know more than anyone, if you want to create something new that you're trying to inject into the, the, the consciousness, the global consciousness of people, it's a 24 hour a day, seven day a week job. It's not something you can do part time and it's not something you ever turn off. You are always that person and you're always trying to share it with others. You know, we before we start shooting, we're saying like this has been your family, mm. you know, like this has been your focus. And I think what's interesting is it's both, right? It's OK, if I'm going to spend this much time doing it. Um, you know, the realities of monetizing things, right? Like you, you get, you get into all of it. So your initial reasons, your initial whys are, are pure, mm -hmm. right? They work for you. You're good. You go, other people could do this and benefit from it. And then you have these other steps where you go, oh, okay, now if I am going to put all this energy and I, I, I feel like I can create a value that then I can share, but also be compensated for. Mm -hmm. I think it's, how do you learn then how to put that system in place because now you have a business. Because a lot of people have ideas and they do a pretty good job of creating things, but they, it's hard to cross over, super hard. How was that transition for you? Uh, <coughs> messy and hard <coughs> and challenging and all the things. My business partner and I still to this day, we, we say that we're playing business. You Wait, know? you have a business partner right now? I do, I do. Now you were part of Global, but what was it like a different business, right? And then you, this was a frack, this is a sort of a chapter in the business, mm -hmm. right? And now this is on its own. So is this business partner been with you the whole time? The whole time. So Amazing. she, yeah, Karen, Karen oh, started off. Details. Of course, a woman, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Karen Mahar, she is, she is like everything that I'm not. And that's why it works so well. Because I truly don't believe that you can wear all the hats. You have to build a team. And she... She was a client of mine in the beginning. Okay. Oh, see, and, but that's smart. Yes. Then she knows. She, she knows what it was exactly. like to start. She knows what turned her on about it. Mm -hmm. And and we were friends. She knew that I had a bigger vision, and she supported that vision. She has a doctorate as a sociologist, so she was working at uh, this place called Camilla's House in Miami. doesn't matter. I, I knew that, one, she was crazy smart, so super, super sharp. But she, she also had a film degree, so we could do tutorials. She could shoot them and edit them. She knew how to put together a blog, which I had no idea how to do at the time. She knew how to write code. If she didn't know how to do something, she would find out how to do it. So, I mean, incredible to have her as a business partner. And it was just the two of us that really ran the show for a very long time. And then we eventually, you know, found ourselves in a place to where, one, in order for us to expand, we need to grow the team, but also we now had the ability to do it financially. Mm -hmm. And getting to that point of figuring out like, okay, who's our first full-time employee going to be? Because we have a team of educators, so they're, they're what we call our master instructors who can teach the workshops. But as far as the actual staff, we were doing so much, just the two of us. There was a, a specific time where I, I was able to to go full-time with Animal Flow just before she was able to go full-time with Animal Flow. So she she left her job. I stopped training one-on-ones and uh, then we were just like, all right, this is it. We're, we're, we're doubling down. This, this is all or nothing. So it was super exciting, super scary at the same time. When you see Animal Flow, I, I'll be honest, I don't care who you are. There's something about it where you, you're, that you, you intuitively think, I, I wish I could be good at that mm. because it's like little kids rolling around on floors and just getting down there and moving in that free way that animal flow, especially once you become proficient at it, mm -hmm. would allow you to do. Yeah. So it's like we've gotten so far, we're sitting in chairs, you know, we're up, we can't, uh, you know, I, I'm speaking also for myself. It's like the ground's so far away. I think we want to be connected to the ground. 
What about your own practice now? Because you, you talked about, you know, balancing it out. Do you incorporate weight training in your, I mean, because it looks like you do, but your body your body weight is the hardest thing to move, so I'm not sure. Do yeah. you have a blend, and how does it look? Yeah, I, I do. So, and I, when I first got into just strict calisthenics, so just strict body weight training, yeah, that, that was all I right. did for years. And so I would look at, the calisthenics practice as like my strength training, my very linear sagittal, you know, this is like strict motion to build strength and skill, especially with some of the like handstand push-up stuff. Um, and I would look at animal flow as this is my free motion. So this feeds my ability spectrum. It, it, it fills it in, you know? Mm -hmm. So if, if I'm expressing my ability to be strong and have coordination here, this fills in all the other things. So this is my speed, my power, my flexibility, my mobility, uh, all, all of the other things that, that make our incredibly complex biomotor abilities. But as I continue down the road of my journey towards self-mastery and figuring out what my body needs when, um, I'll go through phases where I'm like, you know what, I need to pick up heavy things and put them back down. And then- Is that a tough re, you know, sort of reignition again to get to get the faculties moving i mean obviously you've been doing it for so mm -hmm. long but it's the first few times like oh here we go it's actually really nice is it? it is because i feel like I feel every, this is so easy this kettlebell snap well every day every day that i feel like i'm in my body i just i we have more opportunity to to feel into it and so whenever i go back to weight training i just have such a different body to express weight training with now mm -hmm. and i just my connection with whatever the external load is is much better and I, again, for me, it's like, all right, well, if we have the capacity to do all these different things, shouldn't we do all these different things, you know, versus getting stuck in one thing, like, oh, I only do free movement, or I only do cycling, I only, you know. Because we want to be good at stuff, and we don't have a lot of time. I don't know, how do you approach that when people are like, hey, I only have so much time. Yeah. But you want them to sort of try all these different modalities. One way in which we can approach that topic is looking at who are, who, who are we talking about? You know, are we talking about the person that is already dedicated to a certain thing that they love to do, right? Because you mentioned it earlier, we have the tendency to go towards the things that make us feel strong. Mm -hmm. So do we want to immediately go, I want to go to something that makes me feel weak. Yay, that's going to be fun. No way. We want to go to the thing that we're good at. It takes way more effort to go in the opposite direction and go, you know what, I'm going to take a pause on that and I'm going to go start exploring. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of effort. But... If we're looking at that person who is doing the thing that they enjoy, the thing that they love, how can we say that that's wrong? They're doing something, and something's better than nothing, right? Well, but yes, because then we're going to end up at 70 or 60 in this one constant pattern, and there's always problems with that. You're going to pay. I mean, I've paid for certain repetitive motions. I'm sure you pay in your own way. So I agree with you. However... If you're going to bike and bike only or run and run only or bang iron and bang iron or yoga and yoga only, you're going to pay. A hundred percent. And that was where my butt was going as well, which is, yes, when we do the same things over and over and over again, everything in our body adapts to that. So like you said, our breathing patterns adapt, our nervous system adapts, our joints adapt, our connective tissues adapt, right? So they adapt to those very limited expressions of movement. One of the best things that we can do is break those patterns. And that was kind of the idea, you know, behind cross training. So it's like, all right, if I, if I play this sport for a season, I'm going to go then play this sport. So I get different load profiles and I get strong in different ways, but I still maintain a certain level of cardiorespiratory fitness or whatever it might be. Um, we can definitely look at our bodies as athletes, even if we're not athletes, right? So having the ability to change the way in which we experience loads is so important for that resiliency that we've been talking about. Having bodies that we can stay in and enjoy longer. And having the, that multidisciplinary approach really does help resilient bodies last. But when we're looking, so that's why I'm saying if we're looking at that population, so if someone's listening to this and they're like, hey, I'm already exercising. Right. That's fantastic. Keep doing it and do it as long as you can in all different ways, right? But if we're talking about the other 80% of people who are not, and so that I would say 80% because I just recently- Is that real? Was, well, I, so I, I checked out this study that said on, on any given day, if you looked at the population of people 
exercising or working out or playing sport, it was something like 18.7%. And in a 10-year period, there was an increase of like 0.7. And that was because more women were starting to exercise. So there's actual, an actual drop-off in, in exercising. So go ladies. But the reason that I bring that up is, you know, the people who are already exercising, we're, I'm preaching to the choir. Right. So how do we get the other large population of people to start something? something. So let's say so somebody wants to start Animal Flow, they're already doing something. Would you, would you say to them, hey, can you give it um, a few weeks just doing the basic new fundamental moves of Animal Flow? Or would you not dare and just say, hey, can you get it in there once or twice a week? and then just take it from there? Well, one of the things that was really important to me when creating the system is I wanted it to live as a fully integrated system that could also be taken apart and used as individual tools. So whenever you're looking at someone who is really, you know, they have a certain style of working out that has served them well over the years, they love it, they're not gonna get rid of it anytime soon, then you go, cool, let's add these two movements into your training, whether it be as part of your warm up, it's part of your mobility, it's part of your cool down, and then now you're just, you're just giving them these little taster bits that are big bang for your buck movements, right? So then in doing so, and this happens a lot, we see where you have people that you introduce these little pieces of Animal Flow 2 and then they start requesting more. So that way we know that they're being successful at the things that we're giving them and we're never setting them up for failure. We're just saying, yeah, keep doing the thing that you love to do. Let's just do this because this is going to help you live better in your body longer and just start doing it as part of this phase of your workout. So I would never say, hey, stop doing that thing unless it were like, hey, I like to jump off of a step and land on my head. I'd be like, probably don't do that. Right. But if they're doing a workout, because, you know, it, it does come down to belief systems within, you know, what someone is attracted to. And they're like, no, this works for me. I love this thing. Great. I don't want to take that away from you. I just want to show you that there are other options. And so just by me sprinkling a little bit in, now you start to see, oh, well, this makes me feel differently. This makes me think differently. This, you know, opens up new possibilities to make me better at the thing I love to do anyways. Yeah. You have over a hundred moves, right? Or something there like that? There are a lot, yeah. Right. And yes. you have, you talk about the importance of the transitions, which I want to, I get into because I, there's something for me so smart when I was reading that and hearing about that transition. Mm -hmm. Because when in life are we sort of really not in some type of transition? And to do that uh, fluidly and successfully sometimes is really makes big differences. It does. Yeah. It does. And you know, one of the things that, that I, I'm quite fond of with the animal flow system is that there is a language around it. And I always say, look, this language is not creative, it's descriptive. So, you know, essentially, one of the ways in which we can kind of play this game with somebody else is, we call it freestyle call-out, where if someone knows the language, I can put you on the ground and say, okay, set beast, right leg under switch, left leg full scorpion, jump to left leg front kick, through, pop back to, and just go and go. And so now you're uh, responding to my verbal call-out physically. So now we have this communication with each other, but also you don't know what's coming next. So you're reacting exactly. So now we're getting back into making the brain work much harder as well. So that I love that part of like, this is how we're in, we call it constant various motion. So, you know, sometimes we do have these very dramatic breaks in the upper level and we call these energy breaks. We also use uh, energy rolls and redirects, just a way of looking at how someone moves through space. So whenever we have someone in this, this scenario where we're calling out to them, we may take them through a series of 30 movements and they know the language so they can react, right? And it's taught the same way all over the world. So anywhere you go in the world, if you meet another practitioner, you speak the same language because the names of the movements are always in English, but the rest of the call-outs, so like arm, leg, direction, would be in whatever the native language is. But the cool thing about that is whenever you get to the end, we always have someone that's like, yeah, but where do you find balance? Like, it shouldn't be left, right, left, right, left, right. And it's, no, this is a sequence of seemingly random movements. Now just do the whole thing, the whole thing to the other side. Or you just do a whole new call-out because that's, the randomness of how we how we experience life, right? Our, we don't always, hopefully, don't always uh, rely on the exact same movements every single time. It would be very tough to navigate the world if we did that. So if, if we can better prepare you for the 
the time that you slip off of the curb or the time that you miss a step or the time that some, you know, the nervous system doesn't act the way that you want it to act, can we rely on the training that we've done mm-hmm. to keep us safe? What about turning your baby over to other people? So now you're, you're training, what do, you, what do you call your coaches? Master instructors. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're turning your baby over to your master instructors. No one's ever going to understand it as intimately as you do because you started it. It's just you, there's a thing that you have with Mm -hmm. it that no one will ever know, which should probably give you great confidence. So that if they go off and they're really shiny and badass at it, you're like, wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. How was that transition from taking something? Because this is another part of also business, which is taking something that's yours whatever that means, mm-hmm. and saying, like, here you go, I'm going to arm you. And also, they're going to have their own spin on it. They they will do certain parts of it uh, maybe even better than you because that's just how life is, which is so fantastic. How did you uh, reconcile that? Like, how was that, <laughs> that process for you? It, it was tough in the beginning, but I have to say, I was given such a great piece of advice by someone who I considered a mentor of mine, uh, Michelle Dalcourt, when I first started with Animal Flow. He had already spent a lot of time developing and promoting Viper and uh, his company, Institute of Motion. And I had already decided from the start that I never wanted Animal Flow to be about me. I never wanted it to be the Mike Fitch show. I wanted to be part of it. But when you make something all about you, you give it a timeline, you give it a ceiling. So then it doesn't have wings to continue to grow past your existence. And I wanted this to be something that even if you didn't like me, like if you're like, I hate that guy, that guy sucks, but Animal Flow is pretty cool, great. But also I wanted to make sure that our other educators were not just carbon copy replicas of me, that they were their own personalities and they had their own their own like energy to them and their own mojo. So when I see the way in which they teach, especially in the beginning, when I saw someone teach the same information a different way, I was just like, oh God. And not, I didn't realize, you know, like, uh, like let's say one of our, our guys is really great at layering information. I'm like, oh, you forgot this part. You forgot this part. But then, you know, that was not his process. Like, he was going to get to that. He was just going to take a different roadmap than I took, you know. So letting go of that and easing the, the, the death grip on it was quite challenging in the beginning. But once, you know, we, we didn't grow quickly with our team. I mean, we've been, you know, it's been a decade and we have 20 three master instructors, including me, and, and everyone's spread throughout the world. Do you have any Russian master we instructors? We do. I would love to know how the Russians teach uh, animal flow. Like if you're like, oh, that seems hardcore. They are so good <laughs> and super hardcore. Evdania, a uh, big shout out to you. She is our, our MI and um, ex-pro acrobatic dancer. You know, I mean, she's insane with her abilities. Uh, but Animal Flow just brought something different for her, you know. So she, it really clicked with her. And Animal uh, Flow is growing like crazy in Russia. They're just really, really crushing it. But, I mean, just one example, right? So we have these incredible, and, and they are, to me, they're our Justice League of, like, superheroes. And they're all just, I, I feel lucky to be in the same thing with them, right? I never feel like I'm the leader, I'm the creator. I'm in this thing with them, and I, I'm so fortunate to be there. Yeah, you're the portal. But actually, the gift is when you get to be the one who is part of the process of developing it, people don't understand how rich that is. Mm. You don't get to do that that much in your life, if at all. Like, it didn't exist, now it does. It's it's so cool. So, could you just sort of explain to me, because you talk about, you know, there's flexibility and speed and uh, endurance and stability and all these sort of elements. How do they show up mm. in animal, animal flow? Uh, you can, you know, you can look at this spectrum of, okay, if I'm, let's say, a football player, maybe I'm on this side of the spectrum where I, I'm more exhibiting my abilities to be strong, to have power, to have speed. If I'm a yogi, I may be on the other side of the spectrum where I'm, I'm demonstrating my abilities to be, you know, mobile, flexible, and stable. Uh, and then in the middle, there's coordination kind of bridging the gap. So the thing that I loved about creating a system that filled in the pieces that became almost like an adhesive to bring all the pieces together is that I could take my strength athletes and my power athlete and make them more bendy and pliable. You know, I could take my yogi and make them more dynamic and, 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 and uh, quicker. So if we're looking at how we do that through animal flow, as I mentioned earlier, like, you know, we can take the, the whole system apart. 
But the whole thing is made up um, of six components. And the first component is just risk preparation because that's so important to your experience on the ground. So that's component number one. The second component is something we call activations. And so activations are really where the stability part comes in. So it's also where we kind of invite people back into their bodies. So activations are super, super simple. So we have what we call the ABCs of animal movements or animal base positions. So we have ape, beast, crab, and then something we call loaded beast. So in our activations, we're setting up in this beast or crab position and we start just challenging by lifting the limbs off the ground. Super, super simple, but incredibly challenging. So great for increasing that communication that we talked about, but also great for just global full body stability. People don't realize how hard that is. Oh, yeah. And not to like have your whole hip sink down right. or what have you. It's like, it's, it's so important and so difficult and you can be a world-class athlete and you're like, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's very ego crushing right, right away. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's part of our stability uh, component. And then when we look at our, what we call our form specific stretches, so those are like our full body mobilizations. And those would be like, you've probably seen someone do a crab reach before or something that we call a scorpion reach. So those are full body mobilizations, but the, the idea and the concept there is to create strength through motion. So we not only look at them as our body strength building movements, but we also look at them as abilities to, sorry, opportunities to build usable mobility in end ranges of motion. So those are where we get more extensibility through the tissues and stability in ranges. So we use those, uh, that's one of our components. We do have the traveling form. So that's where we use our traveling apes and beasts and crabs and things like that. And as I mentioned before, I learned those first in parkour training. And I was just like, wow, there's so much happening here, right? We can use these as a dynamic warm-up. We can use these as cardiorespiratory training. You know, there's a lot of energy expended. What is the demand of oxygen that our body is put under? So if we're, if we're doing something that we're conditioned at, so let's say, you know, we talked about road biking earlier or cycling. If I am a novice, then I'm going to burn a lot more energy because I'm not good at the thing, right? I'm brand new. I don't know how to use my body properly. So as I become more and more skilled at that particular pursuit, then I'm able to become more efficient at energy. So I, my cardiovascular system adapts to that and I'm better, more capable of, of utilizing that oxygen. Whenever we have someone who's brand new at animal flow, we're not just putting them in a linear path. We're asking them to use all of their limbs and we're calling out the directions of which hand is left and which is right. And so it is a very high energy expenditure, not only for the brain, but also because we're moving so many large groups of muscles with all of our limbs, with our spine trying to stabilize the movement of our hands and our feet. So uh, the, the response is high cardiovascular output or the need for more oxygen, yeah. right? But even as we do become more skilled, the movements are so dynamic in nature that there's always going to be this cardiorespiratory um, component of it. It's just hugely a part of it when we're moving that dynamically and moving against our own body weight through all of these different planes of motion, all these different joint angles. So even when we become more proficient and we become more skilled at animal flow, we can always go harder, go quicker, you know, make sure that we're always challenging ourselves, putting ourselves at a disadvantage. So that's something that's always a huge part of animal flow training. Do you have people, let's say someone is pretty sedentary, they're just, they're going to kind of stay in the ABCs for a while and, and, um, and get so much benefit just from that. See, I think it's really important for people to remind themselves you know, we don't have to be uh, the best at something to really get the most out of it for ourselves and not to be afraid to try something because why well, can't we go to that? Is that? Maybe that's not the goal. Just do your best. And I think that that is, is something that I really appreciate about this program because it's completely approachable regardless of your condition level, your age, your mobility. Do you, do you encourage a certain type of breathing pattern or way of breathing while people are doing this, let's say on an, in an ideal, yeah. obviously in the beginning, you're not going to throw that at them as well. Right. <laughs> like they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, but just as someone really progresses, do you encourage them to breathe a certain way? We do. And you know, in the beginning it's, 
Just breathe. Just, just breathe. Just don't hold your breath. And that's it. Because everyone doing your stuff would want to hold their breath. For a hundred percent. So, you know, they're so engaged with what they're trying to to do that it's very common for someone when learning a new motor task to hold their breath. So we're just like, you know, breathe. Yeah. Just breathe in the beginning. Yeah. Over time, as someone go continues down the road of animal flow in their practice, we encourage something we just call breath mobility. So the ability to both take in oxygen, exhale oxygen at any phase throughout any movement. And then we can take it a step further and say, having the ability to take in oxygen through the nose and or the mouth and exhale oxygen and carbon dioxide through the nose and or the mouth during any phase, during any movement. And then we also go into like, okay, you know, diaphragmatic breathing and upper respiratory breathing. So it's, it's like, it's having Again, what tool do you need at that time? Right, because certain positions, you know, the ideal is we always talk about diaphragmatic breathing, but maybe you're in a certain position that, hey, that's just not where it's happening. 100%. Right. So to have all of those tools to where your body can just go, cool, I'm here, this is what the strategy I'm going to use. I'm here, this is the strategy I'm going to use. And then also depending upon what the intention is of the movement. So let's say there's a movement where there's a big thoracic or rib cage opening, and I wanna take in oxygen when I do that. But in order for me to do that, I'm gonna go slower, and my intention is going to be to expand. Maybe I do that exact same movement, but now my intention is to go quick and stop fast. So now maybe an exhale is more appropriate for that movement. It's the same movement. It's just what I wanna get out of it. That's very interesting too, because it would it would make it so that the practice then could be unlimited. Unlimited. Yeah. Why do you get up so early? What is that? Who gets up at 4.30 and why? It's dark out. It's offensive. I live with someone like that. It's awful. It's it's ridiculous. No, so, seriously, what is that? You know what you know, I swear to, I think it is. And I've, I've, I've gone through through the rabbit hole of sleeping and figuring out my sleep and what works for me and trying all the things. And I just realized that for me, there's there's this sweet spot where I want to, to start the day. Like I'm I'm so excited to start the day and I have to force myself to not get up at 3.30, but stay in bed till like 4.15 or 4.30. Kind of, this kind of is full circle back to the beginning when we were talking about structure giving us freedom. I think to me, the drive is to eventually get to the point to where I have freedom to do whatever it is that I want. And, and I don't even know what that means right now. You know, I don't even know, like, does that mean that I can just get, get rid of everything and just be like, hey, do I want to end up in Amsterdam today? and just having that freedom. I like to think that there's at some point, almost like this imaginary finish line. That's why I tell myself it needs that. That like, once you get here, then you can feel accomplished. But I know that that doesn't exist in my brain. I know that once I get there, there's going to be another finish line and there'll be another finish line. So I don't know. I think the drive is what drives me. Mm-hmm. And I think of, of, of being, and I mentioned this earlier, of being of service drives me. And so if I can affect more people, that's what I want to do. But I also know that I am an intense introvert. Do you have a, a secret or a trick for being someone who's an introvert who can then go out and be an extrovert and be talk in front of people and things? Because I think a lot of people experience that where their workplace might demand that they have to get out there and do a presentation or whatever? Or is it just that you're so fired up and so uh, sure about what you're talking about that it's fine? Well, I think uh, I'm such an advocate of coaches. So I still, right now, I have a private coach uh, just on, on public speaking. And I've been doing it for years. But I will continue to be, to be coached because I think that we can always continue to be better at it. Food for you. Mm-hmm. What do you have a certain way that you eat or, I mean, obviously you do. Uh, how, what is your nutrition look like? So my, my nutrition is, so it's, uh, and I've, I've tried everything as I think most people have that have been in the field long enough. And what works for me is uh, high fat, mostly vegetables, uh, uh, smaller portions of really well sourced animal proteins. And that's just, what works with me, I can get away with three meals a day. Um, and sometimes I'll need to snack, but mostly if I have my ratios uh, really dialed in, then I can, I can feel very sustained and satiated on three meals a day and train hard as well. All right, Mike, I want you to tell me all the ways I can find you. And wait, do you guys have an app? With your, tell me about the curriculum and specifically. So 
if people can't find an animal flow person, mm -hmm. and I know it's tricky now with COVID and classes and what have you, tell me about the online and what that looks like yeah. and how to navigate that. So we have something that's just called an on-demand, animal flow on-demand. So it is an app and you can also access it on your desktop. So it's, it's classes, tutorials, and flows. So we release a new flow every Monday. There are just so many videos of classes of different duration, all the tutorials, almost all of the tutorials of all the movements that make up the library of the animal flow system, and then just flows of all varying levels. So beginner, intermediate, and advanced. So all that stuff's at animalflow.com. We also have free videos, so if anyone wants to check Animal Flow out, they can just go to the website or they can go to the Animal Flow YouTube, try a class, see if it works for you. Uh, we also most like, uh, we're just about to launch our instructor directory. That's the word. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so that way if you're looking for someone to do one-on-one, -on -one, yes, you can find them that way. Uh, one more thing. if. You do have, if you're listening to this and you happen to go to animalflow.com, check out, we made a little mini documentary called We Invite You to Move. And it's just a 14 minute documentary that, that's the call to action. So just start and see if you can find that thing that really inspires you. And I like what you said earlier is, you know, and I believe this about all movement, everything is contributing to sort of the benefit of someone moving. There is no one system that is perfect and for everyone, period. Is there anything I missed is really important to you? I think that we hit on a lot, but the last thing I just want to encourage the listeners to do is try to challenge yourself not to go to the thing that makes you feel strong all the time. Whatever that means, you know, so if that means that... Are you talking to me? <laughs> You're talking to me right Did now. you take that personally? No, I need to hear this. No, I'm sorry. That is not just a movement, right? It's in it's in relationship. It's in it's in conflict. It's in all the ways in which we experience we have the human experience. So if we do the things that always make us feel good and always make us feel safe, then we are seriously missing out on the potential for growth. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.